0: Welcome to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line, brought to you this week by me, Vernon Kane. True to form, we're bringing you unrivaled access to England's rugby stars while they're in camp preparing for the Guinness Six Nations and the Women's Six Nations. You might not know too much about our special guest' life off the field, but that is all about to change. And let's be honest, that's why we're here. Joining us this week is England lock, Charlie Ewells.
1: I've only actually played one competitive game of football and they thought, well, tall lad, stick him in goal and we lost 16-1. Um, So, (laughs) pretty quickly worked out that now maybe this one isn't for me. And then I had a friend at at school who had started at Bournemouth Rugby Club and said, oh, you know, I'm giving this a go and I really like it. I think, you know, you should come down as well. And that's kind of where it started. And then, yeah, never really looked back.
0: As well as finding out more about Charlie, we'll also hear from another impressive English youngster, Red Rose, Hannah Bottoman. Who would play you in a movie?
1: Peter
2: (laughs) K.
0: But up first, here's what happened when all two Inside Lines Paul Bunker sat down with Charlie Ewells.
3: Here we are we're with England and Bath, second row, Charlie Yours. We're actually sat outside. Um, we're at the England training camp here in Portugal. It's quite a nice setting, this, Charlie, isn't it? It's,
1: quite nice. it's lovely, yeah. i got the birds singing away. It's not raining. It's not sunny. It's somewhere in between.
3: Yeah, nice. Do you guys come out to Portugal? It must be quite nice, isn't it, get a few days over here?
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, this is, you know, actually, this is my eighth time coming here you know, to this this training facility. But, it's, you know, it's got everything you need. It's accommodation, the food we bring um, we bring a chef with us who's amazing, Carl, uh, so the food's always always quality. They've got the gym, the pitch, which is, which is all you need.
3: Let's uh, start off with Charlie Yule as a young man. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your formative
1: years. So I'm from Bournemouth. Most of my family still live in Bournemouth. Grew up there, till stayed in Bournemouth till I was 16. And then I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship uh, to a boarding school and I went to Bryanton, which wasn't too for only half an hour, 40 minutes down the road in Blamford. Studied for sick form there, and then uh, signed a professional contract out of school, and, and moved to Bath. And I've been there for the last for the last seven years now.
3: Rugby on the South Coast is was there is a, there is a, a scene, isn't there? But it, it's not particularly big. Were You at Bournemouth Rugby Club itself? Were you? I
1: was, yes, and yeah. I probably of obviously with the football club now doing so well and growing up. A lot of my mates played football. It's definitely more. Uh, well, in in theory. The Dorset and Wilt sits in the catchment area for Bath, um, but geographically the closest club was probably London Irish. But there wasn't really any sort of Premiership rugby within an hour and a half's drive, mm-hmm. so never really watched Premiership rugby live as a kid. I think I watched one or two games. We'd have to sort of wait more for the international stuff that was was on TV to to sort of watch rugby. Um, and yeah, sort of the majority of my friends are probably more into more into football.
3: So how, how did you get into it were your parents into it were brothers sisters uh,
1: so I played I, I, I've only actually played one competitive game of football and uh, they they thought well tall lad stick him in goal and we lost 16-1 um, <laughs> so so I, I pretty quickly worked out that now maybe this one isn't for me and then I had a friend I had a friend at school who had started at at Bournemouth Rugby Club, and said, "Oh, you know, I'm giving this a go, and I really like it. I think you know, you should come down as well." And that's kind of where it started. And then, yeah, never really looked back.
3: Parents, wise any influence from those? I think your dad was a policeman, right? So he was. Well, yeah. did, you, did you have quite a disciplined upbringing? Was it kind of? I mean, you meet all varying kinds of policemen. I appreciate that, but was it quite a sort of straight?
1: Um, no, I don't. No, I don't think so. No, but my, my uh, so my mum actually. There's quite a big policing background in my family, so. Uh, my Granddad was a Chief Superintendent, so then my mum and Dad actually met in the police. She left to to have me and my sister um then yeah Dad was in the police while we were growing up, but no he was um he was particularly sporty, so that's probably where i got that's where I got the influence from from him He never really had so funnily enough the, sort of the one sport he didn't play was rugby he, right. growing up he played football I played a lot of basketball growing up as well I played basketball sort of till I was 16 and then at that point I had to choose had to choose between the two and and chose rugby but yeah he, play, he played a number of sports and then had a big influence on me as well just from that kind of you know I saw him going out and mm-hmm. playing sport playing basketball playing football whatever going running and then I wanted to I wanted to do those things as well and then you know, I look back now and I look at the amount of time that he sacrificed to drive me here, there and everywhere. Obviously, living on the South Coast, then you suddenly got a camp or whatever in Chippenham in and yeah, North, yeah. North Wiltshire and miles away <laughs> and stuff. So, yeah, I'm forever grateful to for, for that. And I wouldn't be sat here today if it wasn't for him.
3: Yeah. Uh, and what were you like as, as a youngster? So give us just an overview, like academically. What were you like at school? What were you like away from school? Were you turning around on your push bike? Were you kind of, you know, building dens? What were you
1: like as as a young boy? Um... I don't know it's hard to say I like I'm pretty normal I guess I'm not exactly rock and roll so there's <laughs> it's, it's still a grammar school in Bournemouth and I went there for uh, secondary school and I, I, I enjoyed school I really enjoyed like, being with mates and and that I'm, I wouldn't say I'm too I don't particularly enjoy studying I enjoy learning I enjoy developing I don't particularly enjoy sort of sitting reading books and, and studying did okay at school yeah, I guess. I, know, I guess. Yeah, just sort of most lads want to like hanging around my mates, playing football, doing those sort of things. You
3: did okay at school. It's a bit of an understatement. I think you got three a-, a levels, right?
1: I do have three A levels: yeah. maths, uh, economics, and chemistry.
3: Yeah, Charlie, I mean, let's be fair. That, that's not your normal. You must have some gumption to do those three A levels. Did you do well in them?
1: Yeah, I got A. I got AAB. Um, wow. But a lot of that was, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I was fortunate to go to two brilliant schools. Mm. So, so there was that as well. And like I say, like I. I'm I'm relatively academic, but I don't particularly I don't sort of thrive. I don't mm. thrive in academia, I guess you okay. would say. I I've, yeah I've, I've sort of started a, a university course since playing, but again, just the it doesn't unless it really interests me. Um, I, I struggle to then really sort of commit and, and buy into something. Whereas mm. if, if something interests me and takes my interest, I'll, I'll commit loads of time to it, and I love learning.
3: Yeah, oh, I always wonder because clearly it sounds like you're sporting career it's almost kind of clearly through hard work but naturally fallen into place isn't it with your age grade development is there always a pinch point in your life where you actually think rugby's the way i'm going now and i'm not going to do per se a, a normal job
1: yeah yeah i think so i remember around i remember going to to and i went on a rugby scholarship um, and at that point i'd played i played england 16s which at that age was you know, you know. is a huge huge deal and I think then that was obviously then I had the hunger to like, No, I really want to I really want to do this full time. Obviously then you've got everyone telling you and sort of keeping you grounded if you like around you saying like no you still need to study, you still need to get all these things these mm. things in place. But I'd say around fifteen, sixteen, at that point as well, I was in the in the Bath Academy so I could see I could sort of see a pathway in front in front right. of me. I could see guys that were older than me who were sort of two, three years older than me, they were now starting to sign contracts and start with the club and actually I was going, No, oh, I wanna be I wanna be that guy, that's what mm. I want to do.
3: Did, have you dealt with much rejection? Have you had moments in your life where you kind of,
1: on that pathway as a youngster, were there moments where you just thinking, oh, you know? Yeah, there, there, there was a couple. To be honest, if anything, I wish, I kind of wish I had more earlier. I, like you say, I, I, I probably was, I was extremely fortunate early to get selected for England 16s, and then I remember not getting selected for England 18s at my first go, and then actually, um, that was, that was at the start of the Six Nations. By the middle of the Six Nations, I was in the tournament, and I was playing, but I probably handled that really badly because I hadn't had. From a sporting point of view, being obviously when you're younger and you're bigger, you're, you're naturally probably going to be better at those sports. So, mm. I probably didn't deal with that rejection well at all. Um, and then, similar sort of thing at, at the club as well. I sort of came into the academy, d- didn't play at all in my first year. Then, I started playing in my second year, and then through injury, through other guys being injured. And then, actually, when those guys came back and I wasn't selected again, I probably handled that really badly. So, you know, I've learned massive amounts about myself you know and, and actually the, when I look back now the, the moments in my career where I've kicked on and pushed on the most have always been off the back of some sort of failure some sort of rejection yeah. uh, and you kind of think like yeah oh god I wish that happened to me when I was 16, 17 and mm. actually you know, I'd be a few steps ahead maybe uh, I guess yeah. you can always look back and wish things were different but all you can really control is, is now but no I've definitely made my biggest strides forward and then particularly under Eddie I've I've been selected. I've not been selected, but I think I've grown the most as a player and as a person when I've when I've not been selected and I've had to go away and properly mm. look at myself.
3: Captaincy, I want to talk about because a captain in England at under twenty, right, and captain at Bath yeah. this season as well. Yeah. How would you describe your captaincy style? How would you how would a mirror up to yourself?
1: Yeah, I think naturally I'm more sort of detail driven. I'm a huge believer in actions over words. Uh, not to say that I won't, I won't speak in front of the lads, but I would never ask something of, of the guys that I wouldn't expect of myself, and uh, probably more to do with I think I think uh, people are probably naive to think that you know captaincy is a one-man band and leadership mm. is a one-man band, and that you go around on your own and captain fantastic give these speeches yeah. and stuff. I think you know the way that rugby is now that there's so much detail in so many areas of the game that I can I'll never wish to explain and understand all of them, and actually having other brilliant leaders in the team around me my job then is actually just bringing all of that together and making sure I'm getting the best out of those guys Mm. Um, and I'm fortunate at Bath to have some super experienced guys and other guys that are real experts in their areas and actually like I say my job is just making sure that they're doing their bit at the right time and you know, again coming back to the, the actions over words things that make sure that they're performing to to the level that's that's suitable.
3: Do you enjoy do you enjoy captaincy? Because you know we've seen I mean, countless names of guys that have taken on captaincy and there's a lot of responsibility coming out. You know, your role in the line out, your role on the pitch, you know, in the position you play, a very physical, strong, demanding position, and then the guy is actually trying to build a picture of what's going on in the game as well, and I appreciate. But do you enjoy it? Is it something that you sort of kind of feel that your shoulders get bigger, your chest gets out and get amongst it? And, and maybe you can talk about your development to that as well because, clearly, captains take on that mantle, don't they? But it doesn't just happen at the click of a fingers.
1: Yeah, uh, no, I, yeah, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. And I think when I was younger uh and i was in those roles in in teams before I, I guess i think i thought more no i've got to do everything mm. uh and i've got to say everything and i've got to be in charge of everything and then actually as i've got a bit older and now i'm in this role with the club and and, and loving it and learning so much every day um but actually i feel like the boys will respond so much better to me by showing a bit of vulnerability i sort of said mm. to them at the start that you know this is my first time in this role i'm a younger guy um you know all i can promise you is that i'll 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 Give everything, and I'll, I've got my morals of what I think is right for this team, and what's best for us, and what's best for me, and, and the club. Um, and, and, and I'll try and make my decisions off them. But please tell me if I please tell mm. me if I get it wrong, and please tell me if I can do it better. So I'm really, yeah, I'm really enjoying that. And then in terms of on on the pitch, again, it's probably more again as I've got older, it's realising that all the stuff that you spoke about, you know, actually just me doing my job and playing well is is 95 of what i can do for the team you know the other little bits here and there of trying to get the best out of other people that's we're talking about one two percent things There you might add another five percent to the performance but the, you know the main thing that i can give to the team is just i play really well and the line out goes well and i control my area hi i'm courtney england lock here to remind you to leave us a rating and a review at the end of the podcast cheers
0: if you missed it, don't forget to check out Court's interview on last week's episode. For now, though, let's find out what happened when England prop Hannah Bottoman sat down with our very own Nathan Middleton for some quick-fire questions.
4: What profession, other than yours, would you like to attempt? Football. Good. What's your favourite place on earth? What? <laughs> your favourite place on earth. Could be at home, could be a holiday destination... My bed Your bed Excellent uh, Who would play you in a movie?
2: Peter Kay. Peter
4: Okay uh, Who makes you laugh most in camp? Poppy Cleo. Who or what is your spirit animal?
2: Elephant uh, Cancel Hippo
4: Describe your fashion style in three words
2: Bougie No please never use that I don't ever want that used Please <laughs> never use that
4: uh, What would be your signature dish? Steak Steak? And chips, yeah. well, Any sort of steak? Air-fried
2: chips, yeah. steak, get one from, from the old butcher himself. A couple of minutes each side, a bit of butter, bit of garlic, bit of rosemary, you know.
4: Lovely. What was the last gift you gave somebody?
2: Uh, it was my girlfriend's birthday, so quite a few gifts. Quite a few gifts. Yeah, some favourite shoes, Dr. Martin's, not the cheapest of shoes. Some socks, love socks, lots of stuff.
4: When was the last time you were starstruck?
2: When I met Emily Scarrett. <laughs> in the morning today
4: (laughs) women's world rugby player of the year women's world
2: rugby emily scarrett okay
4: what is your biggest pet peeve
2: uh rudeness
4: general rudeness
2: hate people that are rude
4: and describe your dancing style in three words
2: uh you can ask ugo Monya that question
4: can i yeah and what would he say
2: he would say i am an incredible dancer
4: (laughs) more than three words but we'll take it (laughs) thank you
0: thanks hannah Don't forget, the Red Roses will be hosting Ireland on Sunday the 23rd of February and Wales at Twickenham Stoop on Saturday the 7th of March. And you can still grab tickets for both. Just head to englandrugby.com forward slash tickets. Back now to Paul and Charlie Ewells.
4: Hi, I'm Tom Curry and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line talk a little
3: bit about the mental side of rugby if that's all right as well because i know you've had some assistance at times haven't you from sports psychologists yeah. and those how how i mean we, we as a sort of viewing public see you guys working incredibly hard in the gym you know, on the pitch and that as well can you talk about like mentally are there things you do to strengthen yourself and gear yourself up for training and games mentally as well as physically
1: yes yeah and actually again uh, in recent times probably most of my development has come through the work I've done off the pitch with, with sports psychs and around the mental side of the game I think it's the, it's the same as anything Like if you want to properly excel at something yeah, physically you've got to be there tactically you've got to be there but mentally you've got to be there mm. and trying to ask yourself you know well why some games was I there, why some games was I not, and start putting together a plan and and piecing together something so that you can be as consistent in your performance from all those areas as possible, in the same way that you would go to a physio to make sure that physically you can be consistent. You know, I, I believe that mentally you go see sports psychs and, or you do your own stuff to make sure that mentally you can be consistent. So, yeah, I've learned a massive amount about myself again, doing that kind of stuff. And a lot of it was actually uh, before I used to... I'd never probably switch off. I'd never properly chill out. Um, and I, Or if I did, I'd feel guilty for it. I'd be like, no, I should be doing something. I should mm. be stretch, stretching, whatever it might be. Like, I should be doing something to make sure that I'm, I'm better. And if I didn't do those things when I was chilling out, again, I'd have that feeling of guilt. So actually then you almost get to the point where you're just so mentally fatigued because 24-7 you're thinking like, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? But actually now, uh, and actually it came off the back of a conversation with Eddie around, he spoke about that, Stress plus rest equals growth, mm. and he was like, and he spoke about how you know in what you do in the gym, what I do on the pitch, the coaches are there to to stress me mm. if you like, and physically you stress yourself in the gym, and actually, but then if you don 't ever rest, you yeah. never get the growth you just you end up in this perpetual cycle of yeah, yeah, stress. Yeah. And actually sort of since being much more deliberate with my rest. so now I know that when I'm here, I'm going to work. I know I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do everything I can. So that when I'm resting, there's no guilt there. Because, well, I know that when I go back to work, I'm going to go to that place again. And actually, I found that now I'm working harder when I do work. And I'm resting harder when I do rest. Wow. And, yeah. and so that's... It sounds
3: quite logical, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? The way it, does... it but, but you can see it straight away. You know, as a young guy, you know, you could be get to the crazy catch, chuck a few balls on that, you know, kind of, you know, do you want to sleep? No, no, I'll get out and uh, get the roller out and do a lot yeah. of rolling. So what do you do then on that note then for a bit of sort of kind of downtime?
1: So I think when I'm in camp, it's probably Netflix. It's just, you know, sit and chat with the lads, have a coffee, talk about not rugby talk mm. about anything um get to know each other more I guess obviously in that club environment you know the guys better sometimes here you, you come across new people so just chat find out about them find out about their lives families what they think politically what they think mm. of Brexit what they <laughs> <laughs> so you just sit and talk about nothing and then um away from the club I've got a dog so I walk him chat to him for a bit yeah um yeah, again go for coffee, see the guys that I'm at training with all day but just see them somewhere else. Yeah, yeah.
3: It's... Do you read and stuff like that and or listen to music, no. do you ever or play any musical instruments anything along those lines? No, I'm
1: not I'm not very musical. Tried that when I was younger and no, I'm no good at that. I wish I was. I'm very jealous of people that can just sit and yeah. play a guitar, play a piano, but now I'll yeah, occasionally read. Yeah. If I get into a book I'll, I'll I'll get into that again. Probably coming back to the thing about how my brain works with, with learning if I find myself into something, I'll just read about that, or mm. listen to podcasts on that, or watch videos on YouTube about whatever that thing might be that I'm into. Right. Become yeah, quite yeah. obsessive for a little yeah. bit, get really into it, find out everything I like can about it, and then move on to the next thing. Talk about that. Then, what are you into at the moment? What? Give us some of your big recent hits. If if
3: I came to you for a recommendation for Netflix or a couple of podcasts, tell us um, what you're. Uh...
1: I'm currently watching uh, Sex Education on Netflix. That's quite good. Okay, it's funny. Electric cars, mate. Oh, really? Yeah, which is... okay. I'm not sure how... Yeah. I don't don't want want to know I'm a real nerd, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: And is that from a sort of environmental point of view, you're into electric cars, or is it into... You like the look, shape, and the feel, and the kind of... uh... Uh,
1: I like Elon Musk. I think he's an interesting character. I think Mm. in history, we'll look back, and he'll be one of those guys that stands out, because he's just so different. I like the I like the, the the cars themselves are cool and the tech mm. and all that sort of stuff and then yeah environmentally I, I wouldn't say I'm a I'm not an eco warrior but I'll try and make decisions to help I think you know everyone's got to do their their little bit so chip in I like cooking but I'm nowhere near my girlfriend's a brilliant cook so right. she does a lot of the cooking at home uh, I do a lot of the washing up so <laughs> what's your
3: signature dish if I came you know if you were going to throw a bit of a shindig and we
1: came around what well, what
3: would be a- I like
1: um. I love Italian so I love like a chicken and mushroom risotto would be something like that would be real nice or carbonara or something like that I do love Italian food yeah
3: how do you find uh, we spoke to Courtney the other day and he's a guy who on the scale of I can eat anything is he's right up at number 10 isn't he compared to other players who are down at zero yeah. how are you I mean you, you're a big guy imagine what 118 yeah, around 100, that 108, yeah. that's a good guess is not it yeah. uh, 118 kgs so, so with food why are you disciplined do you, do you find it
1: hard to keep the weight on or off I find it hard to keep the weight on yeah oh, so right, I'm, okay. I'm a bit more I'm not quite as extreme as Courtney I can't eat like that or I will get fat but mm. I need to, for For me, food is about, I've got to, I'll be telling myself to eat more, eat more. And like every sort of couple of hours, I've got to be thinking like, I haven't had something, I just need something to keep eating. Because if I don't do that, I just, the weight just falls off me. Wow. And then I lose it and then I'm yeah, not effective. And
3: how do you maintain it? do you do it thing with
1: with shakes? You can't beat food. Food is food's the best thing that you can be doing for yourself, but sometimes just you know, with life you can't mm. always cook yourself up a meal every five minutes. So a shake is just a great way of making sure you, you get those things in. Uh, like before bed if you need to have something again, you're not probably gonna wanna cook and wash up. So just having a shake is, is much more convenient. So yeah, use the shakes and then obviously when you're in camp everything's just everything's put on for you. Yeah. So it's a brilliant opportunity to get all those things spot on and
3: Talking of camp, uh, we come back to 2019. It must almost be like a bittersweet year for you because, uh, you know, in camp for the full sort of pre and then the, the, the games as well and then not making it to Japan. Can you talk us through how the year was for you?
1: Yeah, I, um, I actually love my time in camp. I I was in camp for 12 weeks, it obviously did the full sort of that pre-season feel if you like. So you go, you, you leave the club, you go five weeks off. You come into camp, you do twelve weeks. So for seventeen weeks, I'd, I'd not been a Bath player. I'd been either on holiday or I'd been an England player, and I sort of physically and rugby-wise, I took my probably took my game to a place that it, it's never been before, and it mm-hmm. sort of showed me what was possible. Obviously, would I have liked to have gone to Japan? Absolutely. Was I gutted when I found out that I wasn't going? Yes, I was absolutely. But also because so Eddie let us know after the first warm up game. So I played that. I played the Wales test at Twickenham uh on the Saturday on the Sunday morning uh he was letting guys know whether whether or not they were going to go to Japan or not and he obviously called me in and uh, and told me and you know I was it took me a while to he he told me just to go home that day so I sort of but then you know I'm extremely grateful that he said to me but I want you to continue preparing the team and continue preparing with the team mm. um, like you, you know it's a we don't know until that plane flies who's going to go and it's a squad effort and you know, I was really grateful for that because I think if I'd have, if that would have been it, I think if that Sunday morning would have been like right, that's it, you're done, back to your club, I'd have probably just been left a bit lost and mm-hmm. a bit oh all that work and I you know I've probably never worked as hard as some of the sessions that we did in that in in, in that build up and then but as it was, I sort of went home for the afternoon and again took the dog out, I had a chat with him about it all, and he he didn't seem too bothered so. Yeah and I just sort of said to myself like well look you know it's nothing happens till it happens so you Mm. know go back into camp keep preparing and and then sort of nothing really felt different because on the Monday we all met up again in Bristol after that game. Training was the same all the guys that i had been training with were the same and some people there was sort of three of us that weren't going that were still in and training and we all sort of sat down and had a quick chat. We made a WhatsApp group together of the, oh. the non Japaners, but and we yeah, we all went for a coffee together and sort of spoke about it and said, How do you feel? And everyone was like, Yeah, like gutted, but yeah, still here and still the same, still going to work hard, still going to do those things. So, yeah, and then actually going on, like I say, nothing really felt different and everyone in the squad was, was brilliant and you speak to the guys that did go to Japan and they speak about how much of a 31-man effort it was and how involved even those guys that were outside of the 23 that got to pull the shirt on, they still felt part of it and I felt like that being outside the 31, if you say it was a 35-man squad effort, I still felt fully involved, as involved as, as Owen Farrell probably felt, I felt yeah, as involved yeah. as that in, in the in the build-up stuff. So no, yeah, and then we obviously played the one-match and I was fortunate again to play in the Italy Test in the last warm-up, and then then it was a bit surreal because we everyone went home on the Saturday, uh, and on the Sunday those guys went to Heathrow, and on the Monday I was back in the club, and it probably took me a couple of weeks to readjust. Like we, I'd been training with in probably one of one of the top rugby mm. environments in the world with some of the best players in the world at, at this unbelievable level. These guys are pushing themselves to a place that. There rugby had never been before, and then it was a, it's naturally it's a step down to go back to the club, and I was probably quite frustrated for a couple of weeks that things weren't at the standard that I'd been used to for, like I say, that seventeen week period. Yeah, yeah. But then actually readjusting to know going back to look after yourself and worry about yourself was was a good thing for me, and I took a few days off and went away and sort of cleared my head. And yeah, yeah. but no, I, I look back really, really fondly on 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 that time on my twelve weeks in camp on on the test matches that I was involved in. So.
3: Shows a lot of. I don't want to sound sort of facetious here, but for a young guy to have a vision like that, you know, it would be easy to go away and sulk, wouldn't it? You'd imagine after that, all that work, but you'd have that open mind and take all those lessons in. I think that's, you know, it's fantastic. And it can only aid you as a, you know, 24 year old, a captain at Bath at 24 years old, with your England career, you know, bright in front of you right now. I mean, you, you must feel like you're a lot better rugby player,
1: yeah, for all of that. I think, I think it's important. Like, I did sulk, I think, like, I definitely it's really important to sulk, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Eddie told me. Go and have a go and have a sulk, like because <laughs> if you don't do those things, you're kidding yourself. Yeah,
3: like, yeah,
1: yeah. It's human, you know. You're trying to suppress human emotions. Of course, I was disappointed. Of course, I was upset, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it was also really important that that period of time was was 12 hours on a Sunday. Yeah, so I had yeah, my yeah, sulk, yeah. and then I got over my sulk pretty quickly because I recognised that the next thing was coming. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, I think if I'd have skipped out of camp and been like, oh, it's fine, I'm not bothered. Like, you know, Eddie would have always been like, what's this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going yeah. on denial. here? So, yeah, like, and denial. I'd have been only, I'd only been kidding myself. So, no, I definitely went and had my sock, But then, I guess you flip it and you look at the opportunity that you, you've been given and that you've got in front of you. And, mm-hmm. and like you say, now I feel I'm in a much better place than I was before I went. I'm a much better player, a much better person, all those things than I was before I started that prep.
3: We're on the cusp of the uh, Six Nations here, Guinness Six Nations 2020. Um, g- give us, you know, you've seen a lot of rugby just at 24 years old, but give us your thoughts on just how special the squad of players is.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably just how special this environment is. Again, you speak to, uh, you speak to some of the older boys, and you know they talk about how it's only when you look back and you realise that this is the place that things get pushed forward. This is this is the sort of the pinnacle of, of rugby in this country and. Um, this is the team that's gonna that's gonna do those things, and then you know just the way that you train and what you're able to do, and you know you make yourself realize the player that you can become when you're in an environment mm. like this. So yeah, it's not for me to speak about the squad. You know, I, I'm grateful to be here, and I'm you know I'm always grateful to be involved. But you know, all I know is that me personally, I you know I really look forward to coming into camp and seeing where I can push things to and take things to and actually test myself against some of the best players in the world.
3: Uh, and finally just on on the Six Nations then you know I'm sure as a young rugby fan looking in and now as a player who's worked hard to be amongst it as well you know how special do you find the whole sense of occasion the rivalry the history in it as well is is it special to you like it is to the rest of us as well
1: it is yeah and there's something really really special around you know you say you grow up and only having Channel 1 to 4 growing up the only thing that you watch rugby wise all year is the Six Nations Um, and to see again it's you know you're against your closest neighbours teams that know each other inside out a lot of the We've got Welsh guys at the club, so you know, you know the you know these guys as well. You the teams properly know each other. It's not like when you when you go play Southern Hemisphere teams, you know, you, you never get to play these guys. That's a different experience. Mm. With these guys you know, you've played them number number of times and you've watched as a kid, you've watched those games and now it's your chance to be involved in those games, so yeah it's a hugely special competition and you know i'm hoping that this year i'll get to play in it. if you run out
3: against toby you know I mean, that's got to be fantastic and I, I would imagine actually club mates that you see you know five days a week normally but to the lineup but going against them and stuff there's a there's a certain challenge and pleasure in that in some ways isn't yeah there? i yeah. think
1: yeah it's obviously you know the 80 minutes is you're both going to compete and professionally mm. you're both going to compete as high as you can but then it's always nice at the end to. know, you know, be familiar, say hi and and talk about things. It's going to be slightly strange if you're playing against those guys. Like you say, you spend so much time with them at the club and you're so used to turning around at a scrum and seeing him behind you and suddenly he's stood across across the way. So, no, yeah, it'll be good and it'll be brilliant to to test myself.
3: Charlie, that's fantastic. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you. It's brilliant. Well, there you have it. The inside line on England's Charlie Ewell's Huge thanks to Charlie for taking time to chat to us and cheers to Red Rose Hannah Botterman. With the Guinness Six Nations taking a break for a week, get your England rugby fix by delving into our podcast archive and listening back to our interviews with some of your England favourites. Keep an eye out for another podcast dropping next week or better still, hit subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Alright, thank you. We'll catch you then.